0: And welcome folks to Desperately Seeking Entertainment. I am one half of your hosting team, Chris Peterson, founder, editor-in-chief of Onstage Blog, and join with me as always... Is Mr. Ben Frawley. How are you, sir?
1: What's up, Chris? What's up, people? What's going on? We're ready to set the f- world on fire with entertainment news. You ready to rock, Chris?
0: I am. So let's just get into it, my man. Let's get into it. Let's. What's What's the yeah. top five? What's going on? I mean, lead us off. Lead us off.
1: All right, we're going to talk about big news. I'm here, you know, I don't like to review things right off the bat, but we're going to throw up a big old spoiler alert right off the bat. We're talking oh. about El Camino. Chris, did you watch some El Camino this weekend?
0: Not yet. It's on my list.
1: All right, all right. So El Camino is the uh, Jesse Pinkman kind of movie postscript from Breaking Bad that uh, I think it premiered on Thursday night at midnight uh, last week. Uh, The ratings were in. I I guess I don't know how you can count the ratings on Netflix, but a ton of people watched it. Uh, You had um, Gilligan uh, writing, directing. You had an appearance by... Almost all the cast of Breaking Bad. It was kind of uh, definitely a fan service. It was definitely uh, something that you needed to watch if you're a big fan of the show. But um, not really sure. So I'm not going to spoil too much because you know you didn't haven't seen it, Chris. But uh, I don't know if it was really necessary.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, I mean it was good. It got me back into the spirit of things. Got me back into the. You know, there's some great Jesse moments. Uh, the reason why I really bring it up is. Robert Forrester passed away Friday morning when it premiered. Yeah. It was like the same day. So I'm watching this thing. I don't even know he's in it. Like I I was like, Oh, I don't know. You know, I I remember him from the show, you know, minor character and stuff. And all of a sudden he shows up and uh, I'm watching it with my dad. I go, Whoa. And he goes, what? I go, I'll tell you afterwards. And then the next morning he's like, Hey, Robert Forrester died. I go, yeah, that's why I said, Whoa, during the movie. (laughs) He had no idea. (laughs) Um, But he had a really big part. He was great in it. Mm. Um, So just kind of a crazy thing. You know, he didn't get to see it premiere and get good reviews. He was just fantastic. Um, You know, that same kind of flat delivery, almost like Max Cherry from uh, Jackie Brown, Mm -hmm. uh, one of my favorite QT movies. Uh, I I don't know. That was a great tribute to him. Uh, Aaron Paul was fabulous in it i got nothing they brought back all these great characters that you you know you saw mike you saw skinny you saw all these great breaking bad characters chris breaking bad's been off the air for six years have you missed it what's going on
0: i haven't gotten into it
1: (laughs) oh that's right oh that's right (laughs) i haven't
0: really got into it and i'm one of those people that like yeah i'm probably i'll watch el camino once i watch this series because i'm sure i need to and um but it's 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 imminently on my list. It's one of those like I, I am going to get to it, and you know, thankfully, you know, the 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 way that my job typically works is I've got a lot of time sitting down doing stuff on the computer, so I can put Breaking Bad on and blow through a season in like three days. So it's not like a huge undertaking for me to do it. But yeah, it's on it's on my list. But to your point about Robert Forster, I mean, what a, what an interesting career he would. You could make the argument that he was consistently good in everything, no matter how good or bad the movie was. I mean, obviously like Jackie Brown is like ridiculous performance in that. Um, and I would even argue that he's one of the best things about the Jim Carrey movie. Me, myself and Irene uh, is, he's fantastic in that too. So yeah, no, just con- a consistently good actor, um, you know, working, a working actor, like a working, he's a he's guy that worked and uh, you know, he will be missed.
1: He will, you know, and he definitely has a Colton B movie status in my head. Uh, I believe he's in the movie Alligator. Uh, Actually, I know so. I (laughs) I was going to say. Don't even look it up. I know he's in that. You know he's in that. (laughs) I like how I start things like, I believe uh, the movie was Piranha 2. You know I knew it. Uh, No, so he's in Alligator, a great late 70s, early 80s B-horror movie. He plays a cop in it, and he's just, like you said, Chris, acting his ass off when it's just so unnecessarily for, for him to be acting the way he is, it's just... So great. And he just elevates any movie that he was in. Um, he definitely will be missed. And I think a lot of those actors that are in B movies that are just acting their keister off are few and far between nowadays. Mm-hmm. And so Robert Forrester, great character actor here.
0: He will be missed. Absolutely. All right. My first one off the bat. Um, so we'll, we'll get into, uh, for those who don't know, I went to Vegas this past weekend. Um I was out there for work, not pleasure, but uh it always ends up being a mixture of both, no matter what um but I was there uh and we'll we'll talk about my Vegas experience in a little bit, but the first thing I want to talk about is the plane ride over to Vegas. Now, I flew directly from j f k to Las Vegas. It was about a four and a half hour flight and um, thankfully I got upgraded to first class, which, you know, I was like, all right, sweet. When you're going to get upgraded, you want to get upgraded to a flight that long because then you can really enjoy the, oh, yeah. uh, the perks, so to speak. And there were lots of perks. Um, however, seated next to me across the aisle was this woman who very clearly, I don't know what the exact, you know, clinical term is, but uh, you know, pardon me, I'm just gonna use the, the term germaphobe because she was wearing basically plastic gloves. She had on one of those surgical masks. She, um, anytime she touched like the screen in the seat in front of her, like for the, the movies and stuff like that, she had like a plastic thing on her finger. So she wouldn't actually physically touch the, um, screen. And so I like, I'm like, okay, like I get it. Like there's a lot of germs in planes. That's, you know, that has been, Proven. Right
1: and the, yeah I've heard like stories About like meningitis through the air And scary shit yeah I get right. it yeah.
0: yeah exactly so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know rag on her for that I get it Right but she did something that was interesting Which I thought was counteractive to what She was trying to protect herself against so At one point um, and this happened Multiple times through the flight she would sneeze When she didn't have her mask on But she didn't cover her mouth when she sneezed So she didn't like go <clears throat> And like put her hand over her mouth She just sneezed and you could just see, like, the the spray, like, go all over the place. And I just thought to myself, that's ironic. <laughs> like, and I just, <laughs> I don't know. It it got me started thinking about, like, how does that, trying to, first of all, make sense of something like that. And Ben, I wanted to ask you if you ever witnessed anything similar to that. But, and just also just, just to get a sense of, like, yeah, like, I don't, I don't understand. Like if you're so concerned with germs, like I guess you're not concerned with your own germs. I don't know. I don't know. Ben, have you ever run into a situation like that or, or actually been one of those people where you're like, oh gosh, I can't touch anything here.
1: So to speak. Oh, you mean like trying to use the hand dryer to strip club with your foot or something like that? Uh, oh, yeah. good Lord. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. Just an example. No, I'm, uh, no, yeah, I'm talking about, uh, well, you remember it, it with OCD, Chris, not all the compulsions. Uh, In that disorder makes sense. It's not Mm. your typical, you know, Jack Nicholson and as good as it gets is a very stereotypical OCD person, you know, throwing the bar of soap out and stuff. Um, There is part of that germs are part of a thing, but that is just one part of it. Not all the compulsions inside that disorder. They interfere with your life, and that is part of the criteria you have to meet when it interferes with your regular day to day habits. If it Ooh. interferes with work, relationships, and all those things. So, the woman being scared with touching germy things and then not giving a shit about spreading her own germs that's kind of par for the course. Um, and you know, I've, I've witnessed like people meticulously clipping their toenails, right. And being very obsessive and clean with their fingernails and toenails, but then gathering the f- toenails in the center of a room in their house. Mm, okay. Does that make sense? Interesting. So that's part of the compulsion. It's just, and it just makes sense in their brain. And it's, it, there's, it's a real ritualistic kind of thing. So I bet you if she covered her mouth, it would freak her out.
0: So that is
1: part of the ritual.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's I mean this is if anything I think it's good to to know these things because first of all this way you're not like obviously making fun of that person because that's just you know terrible and mean but um also to know like where you know in in a sense where boundaries are and you know things like that but that's that's really that's good to know because again like I just looked at that and I to me I'm thinking that's just an ironic piece of behavior but you, to your point it it's it might might be part of her thing. So um wow. Good to know. And
1: you know what? And it might not be her all the time. You know, I remember when I went I went on a flight a couple of years ago, and it was, it was my first time in like a long time. Uh, I got pretty nervous. You know what I mean? I kind of got. <laughs> and so those patterns might manifest like when, when stress levels go up, like which might be her on a flight, too. Wow. Okay. So that might not be her all the time. But uh, it might be, Chris. It sounds like she had enough preparation. <laughs> um, usually there's a lot of counting rituals. Usually there's a lot of things that inside, like, so introvertedly there's a, there's rituals going on mm-hmm. that match the extroverted rituals. Right. I don't know. I mean, she, that's I, wild. You could see it uh, firsthand though. Was she rich?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, she was flying first. class. So like Howard,
1: Howard, uh, Howard Hughes kind of thing. Right.
0: Well, maybe, I mean, she, she, she asked for, um, so normally you get like a blanket and a pillow and she asked for three of each, um, from the flight. She's okay. like, can I have two so there's more? A counting. She's like, can yeah. I have two more blankets? Can I have two more pillows? Where she put those pillows? I have no idea. Cause it's not, you know, I, I got up the, the type of first class it was, it was actually, it was like little booth cubbies. So it was actually really nice. Um, rather than just a, a typical seat. I had like a, almost a booth by myself, but I mean, still there's not a lot of room in there. So it's like to, to think where you're stuffing these three pillows. I mean who knows where they were, so to speak. But um, yeah, so she asked, she asked <laughs> for that. She, she had, she brought her own special, this is, I, I mean, I don't think I'm identifying who it is. so I don't think I'm being mean. Um, she, she brought her own meal with her on the plane, um, which for, it looked like, I, I don't know. I, I, it was cause again, it was dark cause we a lot of people had the windows drawn, but it looked like she had, she had either purchased something specific or, you know, I guess brought something from home because it looked like she opened up a piece of Tupperware to eat this thing. And I'm like, well, first of all, how did you get that on the plane? How'd you get that past security? And then I thought- Yeah, I thought
1: you couldn't bring like anything organic or- liquid. Right. Um, and then I thought, right. well, maybe
0: because if it's a medical thing because of the germs, I mean, maybe they give her a clearance for that. I don't know. But so all, <laughs> all these questions and it's distracting me from watching like the Martian uh, on, my, on my screen. I'm like, because I keep looking over to my left. I'm like, what is going on with this woman? Um, so yeah, no, there's there's just a lot of things, and then like she had ordered food, but uh, on the plane, but then she was like asleep when the food came, so she didn't get to actually eat. Anyth- I mean, it was just all over the place. I mean, this woman, you know, there are some people that do first class, and there are some people that do first class, and she was definitely on the latter half of it. But I mean, it was it's just really interesting behavior to to watch, you know, trying to to be sl- sly about it, not noticing that you know, to let her see that I'm watching her. But yeah, no, there was a lot of interesting behaviors on the plane.
1: Chris, could you imagine someday being so rich that you don't have to interact with people or care if they're watching you?
0: That's the dream. I mean, I, I pretend like I'm that rich now. So by the way, uh, <laughs> side the note, side note, I am the mean, I'm the rudest person in airport folks. And if Someday, what do you mean? Like, if, you know, like on Facebook when you see these like people like like posting these long stories about rude people they meet in airports. Like, this person disrespected me. Chances are that was me. Um, look, here's the thing: I have no. Why were
1: you doing to people?
0: <laughs> I have no patience for people in the airport who are who are not prepared for the airport. Does that make sense? Like, if if you're oh yeah, if you're taking a flight, if someone's taking a flight and they don't know that what they can pack and what they can't pack, they don't know the security line etiquette. They don't know how to get on and off a plane the right way, like in terms of like this road goes out first and this road goes out first and things like that. Um, if they're standing in the jet bridge in the way of me getting off the plane, like I, I have verbally told people to get the F out of my way. I, have, like, I When I land in New York, if someone is dilly-dallying and I'm, I have to say something, I always say something mean and I end it with a welcome to New York. Uh, like it's just... I am, all, I mean, I am someone that's like, I love, I love being in the airport before a flight. Like, you know, I'll go to the lounge area. I'll have a couple of drinks. Like I, I enjoy myself right. before I get on a flight. When I get off the flight, I just want to get to the baggage claim and get the F out of there as quickly as possible. And if someone's delaying that because of their stupid delayed alley behavior, I, I'm just, I'm just very rude. So <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll straight up own any any viral status that says this asian guy in the airport was mean to me and blah 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 and they take my photo i'll own up to it i will
1: no i <laughs> i think i'm the exact opposite like, <laughs> like like when i went to new york city i paid for my 20 dollars train ride from poughkeepsie to new york city and i was like you know what i'm gonna wait till the very end till they kick me off this train because i paid for this ticket so i'm taking advantage
0: <laughs> so you sat on the train I'm- until like the last person got off
1: pretty much. I mean not not like crazy. It wasn't like I'm finishing my coffee. This is my right. Oh, see uh-huh. that's fine.
0: That cuz you're you know cuz you're not impacting any other passenger. You're not like delaying no, I anybody. I sit up else. to the side. Exactly. Oh, no, yeah. No, yeah, I wouldn't stand
1: in the aisle. That's crazy. See, that's
0: what some people do and it just drives me effing insane. And um sometimes there people of a certain age group and you know, it's I I try to be as respectful as I can, but at the same time, I'm like, look, you just need to know how this works. And if you need help, if you need help getting off the airplane, there are people that can come and help you. You just have to ask and they will come and bring a chair down and will you up that thing as quickly as possible? Like, don't try, don't, don't, you know, try to do things that obviously have, have passed you by, so to speak. So it's like get out of my you know way. <laughs>
1: you know what? So here's you know I I went to New York City and I love moving through that city because I'm I'm already got you know we've already talked about my heightism and my height impairment you know, my <laughs> right. height disability right. uh, so like I'm already walking faster. It's than your it's your population. cross to bear.
0: Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> I know it's a struggle. Uh, <laughs> so you know I'm I'm walking through the city and I'm just flying. I got this giant bag because uh, I, I don't have any luggage anymore because someone sold sold it on me for some reason. Oh, uh, so <laughs> so I have this giant bag over my shoulder. Like a trash a huge bag? Looking. Yeah, well, no, <laughs> I have a, a bag bag. But it's still ginormous, and it's over my shoulder because the strap broke. And so whenever a short person, which 90% of the population is shorter than me, stop right in front of me like, oh, honey, I think we're going here. I just stopped there and looked down at them, and then they finally turn around. They're like, "Oh Jesus, <laughs> I think I look like one of the giants on like Game of Thrones." <laughs> and, the, and they're like, "Oh, I'm sorry." I'm like, "Oh no," and I'm smiling, and they're just like, "I'm imposing." Like they must feel my shadow come over their shoulder. Like I don't know Fritz Lang and well, M or it, something like that.
0: When you describe this bag and it's like flung over, does it look like a duffel bag, like you've come home from war? Type yeah, of thing like
1: yeah, it looks like I have yeah, a small see, child go. inside of it. Oh, see
0: that. I I would find that imposing. Yeah. So uh, (laughs) that's awesome. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's, it's, that's ridiculous. So yeah, I I guess it it just, it's, I'm one of those people, by the way, nothing will annoy New Yorkers more than slow walkers on a sidewalk. Oh, Like my biggest pet peeve is when a group of like four to six people are walking four to six wide on a sidewalk slowly and I can't get past them. And it's, it's a nightmare. And nine times out of 10, they're Europeans. So I just want to like, <laughs> get, get out of my way. Yeah, I
1: like I like New yeah. York City sidewalk walking, you know, like I walked all around Broadway all times of the day, like uh, last weekend. And then uh, mm-hmm. or like Oneida City walking. There's no one on these streets. You can walk as fast. <laughs> I mean, you could power walk through the city. No one's out there. Right? Nice. I could leave this house right now. Do the pod, which I got to do someday just a remote pod and freaking, uh, there's, I won't see one person. It's great.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. So, all right, man, what do you got for your number two this week?
1: Uh, number two, this was a big, uh, kind of story, at least for me. You know, I, I feel like I go down wormholes and I have my own specific likes and interests, but I don't know. Other places have these things posted all over the place. So, um, Nicholas Whiting Reffin, the guy that did Drive, uh, Too Old to Die Young. And uh, Only God Forgives and Pusher, all these interesting kind of movies, um, has been has ordered a Maniac Cop to be written and directed by him. So Maniac mm. Cop is a late 80s kind of cheesy Bruce Campbell, Robert Zadar kind of movie, um, which is, uh, I think it's Larry Cohen. Mm. I, I don't want to quote on that one, but it's a very cheesy kind of great kind of B flick. And they ordered a series from... Um, Nicholas Whiting Reffin, which is just an interesting take with that material. Um, so he is avant garde to say the best, and it's one of those things, Chris. I think we talked about on this podcast where it's like a meeting of two worlds that were inside my head. Like someone was reading my thoughts and made something for me. Does that make sense?
0: <laughs> yes, yes, that's awesome. That's it's, aw- it's I, haven't, so creepy I haven't when that happened. It's it's why I haven't seen either the property that you're talking about and i haven't seen the news either so that i'll definitely have to check that out but um yeah that happens that happens quite often where you like you yeah. you think of like this would be a cool movie like i remember i remember in college like thinking about like um like horror films that i thought would be really good like what if you did a horror film with like no special effects and it's just all based on practical door shutting and you know bumps you know upstairs and then like five years later the conjuring came out and i was like damn it i had that idea yeah. things like that so yeah that's that's awesome man
1: yeah it's it's such a yeah and nor should anyone have seen any of these properties or really know that director it's a very specific story so like all the nerds listening to the podcast right now they're like in uh all right and so this is something i need to talk about as we're on this subject hit me, hit me. we're at comic-con right i should be in my glory and I am. Don't get me wrong. I was. um. But I've noticed that I like very particular things. Like there was a booth that was all into the Warriors 40th anniversary. So that booth was awesome for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, And there was very specific film and movie things that I was just way into. But for the most part, for a lot of things, I was either. I didn't know what they were all about. Or it wasn't the nerdy thing that I'm into.
0: Okay. What's up with that, Chris? Well, you know, I think when you go to a place like. Do you feel that too when you're there? I, I I do. Not only when I'm there, but just like when I'm scrolling through Facebook. And like I've got a lot of friends that are like into like the cosplay scenes and things like that. And they're like, they're like look, th- this is my costume for this character. And like they'll get like 100 likes and like 40 comments about like how accurate it is. I have no idea what the person is. Like, I'm like, what is that? Um, and it, it it's frustrating. Cause I, I'm like, I, I'm like, I'm hip. I'm with it. Like, like right. Like, right. I should know these things. And I, I just don't. And, but, but maybe I I think to myself, like maybe it's cause like, you know, I'm, I don't go so deep into certain cultures and, and fandoms and maybe that's an okay thing. I don't know. But like at the same time, what's weird is I also react poorly to people that sometimes don't know like the things that I know. If that makes sense, like
1: <laughs> Yes, that's what I'm getting at. <laughs> oh, okay.
0: So like if like someone's like if I start bringing up if someone says like I'm a theater fan, I'm like, Oh, you're a theater fan? have you listened to this musical by this composer and they don't know who the composer is, I'm like, Oh, you don't know who that comp-. I'm like, oh man, I'm I'm that guy. So yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like you're like a self loather. You're like you you hate people like that, but then you hate people that do that to you. It's it's out of control. It's a hard thing to. It's, it's just like you know I'm I'm standing here. Oh, me and uh, Bobby went to go see Evil Dead Two and Army. I Darkness. saw pictures of
0: that. That looks awesome. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It it was in IMAX oh. in Syracuse. Yeah, and it was epic. Double feature for twenty bucks. Oof. Okay. Can't beat Can't it. Can't beat that. And. Um, yeah, it it was great and we just went out before and we ate a ton of sushi. And then we went to see Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness in the IMAX. And I'm sitting there and um I'm going to another event tomorrow. I don't want to spoil what it is, but um I think Bobby wants to come on the podcast and talk about these two events. They're they're about they're from After Dark Presents, and it's a company that does like kind of screenings of old oh, movies. Okay. Um great little company, so I just had to promote them. Uh but you know, I'm sitting there and there's maybe, you know. 20 to 30 people inside this audience. And then for my money in all of this region, there should be a ton more watching this mm-hmm. movie. You know, there was no, but at the same time, there was no like, you know, army of darkness or ash cosplay at comic-con either, hmm. which is kind of crazy. Um, Cause they just did that whole series. They're doing another uh, Sam Raimi just uh, announced they're doing another evil dead movie, you know, without Bruce Campbell, but another evil dead movie. So, I don't know. So there's my specific thing and I'm pissed that people aren't into it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so the answer is get into this people. Start watching this shit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. But anyway, Maniac Cop should be awesome. Yeah. Period. That's awesome. It. Good stuff. Man. Yeah. What do you got? Chris?
0: Uh, let's talk about Vegas. I, I can't prolong it anymore. Yeah, so maybe. I was there for work. I was there for three nights, which is sometimes feels like two nights too many for me. Cause, um, what you folks need to know about me is I'm a, I'm a poker player. Like that's my thing. And, it's, it's, it's been a blessing. It's been a curse. It's, it's been, I've had nights where I've, you know, left the table saying like, I'm invincible. Like, you know, I can't be beat. And I've also left nights being like, Oh my God, like I'm I'm never playing this game again. Um,
1: You're banned from Teddy KGB. Oh
0: God. (laughs) Like the Mike McDougall face, like where he loses at the beginning. I've, (laughs) I've made that face. I've I've made that face in the past where I'm like, Oh my God, just lost a lot of money there um which is like that's that's poker baby but um i i've been to vegas like i said seven times uh in the past seven years which is crazy to think about every time i leave i think it's going to be the last time and yet i just i keep coming back it's a city that I, I i've only experienced this in i think four cities i've been to and that's new york boston vegas and los angeles where i don't know i get in this like atmospheric frame of mind when i'm in these cities and it's like I I just become engrossed in the, in the culture, in the activities. It's just, and it becomes addicting. It becomes one of those things where it's like, I could live here. Like (laughs) I could do, I I could move here tomorrow and be a hundred percent happy. And, and whatnot. And it's, it's one of those things where leaving those trips is, is a good thing because I I can't get hooked too quickly. But Vegas is great Um, for a lot of people that, that want to think badly about the city um there are obviously not so great things about it their their homeless population is a real problem their employment rates a real problem so the the poverty line in in Vegas is really really um high but you know for the for the tourists and you know for the people that want to go there for a good time and things like that that don't necessarily see what's happening off the strip it's amazing i mean these casinos the nice thing is they're in competition with each other so they're constantly trying to up each other's games in terms of like, we provide this, we've got this restaurant, we've got these types of games. So you're constantly getting like a, a can you top this atmosphere on the strip? And for people like myself that enjoy that, that look for that, um, you know, not for, it, it's weird to say this because... You feel like you're going to lose your money anywhere, anywhere. But if you're going to lose your money someplace, you want to lose it in a place that's nice. You know, you want you don't want to lose it in like a hole in the that's wall. Crazy. You know, it's like you want to you want to go to a place and say, "Look, if I'm going to spend three hours playing poker or blackjack or slots or whatever, I want this place to deserve to have my money, so to speak." So, uh, in Vegas, you've got all that—the Bellagio, Caesar's Palace. I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. And what's
1: your uh- What's your game? What's your game in the poker room?
0: So I usually I usually hit up um either uh limit poker. So two to four two, four, three, six to four, eight poker, or a one, two, no limit game, uh, is typically what I do. And right. and I don't, you know, a lot of people think like with poker, oh like, gosh, I gotta sit down with five hundred, six hundred dollars. You don't. I mean, a lot of these games you can sit down yeah, with forty bucks, forty bucks, yeah. forty to sixty bucks. And in a lot of those limit games, uh, that's what I sit down with, you know, sixty to bucks, hundreds. Now I, that's what I, I, because of my work schedule, I did not actually have a lot of time to actually gamble while I was out there. The first night I was there, I took a late afternoon flight. By the time I got to Vegas, I was just absolutely wiped with the time change. Um, so I just like passed out early. Second night, my work event didn't get out till eight o'clock at night. And plus, by then, my jet lag had started to kick in. So I was like, Jesus, I'm exhausted, but I want to go gamble. But you know what? This is not, I'm not in the right headspace to go gamble right now, especially to play mm-hmm. poker. Um, So I just said, I just decided to call night. So far the first two nights I was there, I didn't go anywhere near a casino and I was like almost depressed about it. The final night I was like, you know what? It's my final night. I'm going out. So I went out, I went to my, the poker room at the Mirage, which is one of my favorite poker rooms to go to mm. in Vegas. Um, sat down at a three, six limit table. Was there for about a half an hour, sat down with $60 in chips, which is typically what I sit down with. I was doing okay. About an hour and a half in, I've, I'm down to like my last $28, 28, 30 bucks. Um, and I get, I, I get a hand and on the flop. Now I'm not going to explain Texas Holden to people. So nah. you just have to know this.
1: Oh, no, what you got? What exactly. You
0: got? I, I hit a jack high, straight flush on the flop. <sighs> yeah. I had eight, nine in my hand, Jack 10, um, queen, actually Jack 10, seven in, in clubs comes out on the on the flop so i'm looking down i'm looking at the stack i'm looking at like oh my god i've got a straight flush i no one can beat unless they've got a higher straight flush no one could beat me here at this table so i just kind of strung along i bet
1: still the odds of that are crazy crazy because you're you're splitting up the flush right i mean
0: it's it's unbelievable i've i've had in all my years of poker playing which is really this past officially last 17 of them i've only had two straight flushes in my lifetime um and the, you know, this was the, the second one. So thankfully, the Would two you
1: o- slow play it, too slow. Play I it? slow paid it
0: because <laughs> the two other guys on the table were doing all the raising for me. So I just kept calling their raises until I got to the river. And then I just maxed out, I, I re raised them. And they think that I probably just have like a, a straighter, you know, a low flush or something like right. that. Because they had, they both of them had really, really good hands. I don't remember because I'm all my, my, my hand is shaking at this point, thinking about all the money I'm going to get off this table. So they, I, you know, I re, I re They call me. They're like, "What do you got?" I flip. I just, I flung the cards to the center of the table like, like the biggest ass you've ever seen. I was just like, "Jack eye straight flush," and they're like, "Oh my god!" And because a lot of these casinos also have what are called high hand jackpots. So what right. happens is, um. Whoever gets the highest hand of a certain time limit, like within a three-hour window, they get a certain amount of money in addition to the pot that they won. So, in addition to the pot that I got, which is probably just over a hundred bucks, um, right. I also got an additional two hundred dollars just from that. And so they actually brought two hundred dollars of like the the special like one hundred dollar chips, um, and they just sat it down. Nice. Like, Here you
1: go. Did you did you have to wait for the jackpot to go through?
0: No, no, that was it. That was that, that was it. Okay. So. Um, that, that I got my two hundred, uh and I I kind of sat there for another half an hour, and I said, you know what? I'm now I sat down with sixty bucks. I've got at least three forty. I was like, I'm gonna call it a night. <laughs> so I got up. That's
1: awesome. And I
0: left, and I said, yeah, because in that town, it's like when the going is good, get out, just <laughs> go home. Right. You're tempted to stay, but just leave. <laughs> and then, um, and then I, I, yeah, you know, it was awesome.
1: I always find like limit. I always find limit limiting to my uh, type of play that I have. Mm -hmm. I've been told I'm hard to read because I'm no matter if I have a hand or not, I'm I'm me. I can see that. (laughs) So I never stop being me. So I don't really give a shit either way, but I make it appear so. So I'm pretty good at just faking out like whoever's at the table like, oh, yeah, I don't have anything or I have the bomb or it doesn't matter. It's just craziness. And uh, we're limit. You really have to play if you have a hand. You can't bluff. Mm Right. straight up a ton in in limit cuz like everyone's just going to bet the max until the end.
0: And, and you got people there that are going to chase you to the end no matter what cuz they're you know no matter
1: what they have they have exactly. the subway hand looking at you and they're chasing it. Yeah. Exactly.
0: So uh but it's always good when you get the nuts because then you can just string those people along as much as you want. But um yeah, no, it 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 was awesome. And actually I'm so glad you you brought up your your you know your um your demeanor at the table because this is where my theater training helps me so like because at the end like the guys are like yeah you didn't act like you had a straight flush at all i'm like well i'm an, I'm an actor what do you want from me yeah. <laughs> I, I don't that.
1: care how good you're acting man when you get something like that when you flop the nuts and it's just like your heart starts just like pounding you feel like you're you oh, can God. see your heart through your shirt that's crazy. It's the
0: greatest feeling it, it might be if you have to rank the greatest feelings you've ever experienced, that's yeah. it has got to be up there in the top five looking like when you know, you have the nuts at a, uh, a poker table and you just watch all those chips going in there and just knowing that they're all going to be yours in about a couple minutes. It's a, uh, it's a good feeling. So, yeah. Um, yeah but other than-
1: I, I don't know if I told this story, but like, I went to, uh, um, freaking Seneca Niagara casino a long time ago and their poker room's crazy because it's right next to the Ni- you know, Niagara Falls, and it's, like, the UN nation of, like, <laughs> casinos. Like, there was a Swedish couple right here. There was, like, a Mexican dude, my Puerto Rican dealer, and then, like, a couple Chinese people, like, right next to me. Everyone's speaking different languages. <laughs> it was wild. And in my first hand, I, I sat down, with like, it was, like, a, yeah, 2-4, 1-2, no limit. I sit down, 40 bucks, and I quintupled up in like the second hand. Like uh, I flip, I just flopped like the bomb. I forget what I had, like a full house or something, and I just said, "Yeah." Like and I I slow played it and I just finally said all in. No one caught anything. And I just quintupled up. It was great.
0: Great feeling. Great feeling. And then
1: Yeah, dude.
0: For anybody going to Vegas, um I definitely recommend your last night there taking like an early flight out the next day. My flight boarded at 520 AM the, on Sunday morning. It left literally the ground at 6 AM. What's awesome about that is it really forces you to just say, you know what? I'm just going to pull an all nighter <laughs> the night before. So you're giving yourself the opportunity to do an all nighter in Vegas, which by the way, if you've never experienced the strip at four 30 in the morning, it is a sight to behold. Um, so yeah. I didn't do it this time around cause I, I called the night early, but the previous time I did that and uh, you see some things, you see some unforgettable things when you, uh, walk walk the strip at three thirty in the morning. So all in all, great trip. I, I can't recommend Vegas more to people. It's actually cheaper than ever to get out there, uh, flight wise, hotel wise. Uh, really, it, it's you know it. Even though it's not a place for families, it's definitely a place for couples. So bring your significant other. Um, I was there during Pride Weekend, which, by the way, Pride Weekend in Vegas is just ridiculous. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous, and it was awesome to see just. um it's it's awesome. So there you go.
1: That's awesome, dude. Freaking All awesome. All right, man.
0: What do you got for number three?
1: Uh, number three, I got some Star Wars news that came out the past week. We were Ooh. just talking about Comic Con and stuff like that, and the lack of representation of Star Wars. Um, first story, um, was Ryan Johnson was casting doubt on his trilogy, his so-called trilogy. He's going to direct after this trilogy's done. Um, saying, um, uh, finally saying, well, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Oh jeez! after yeah so that's in the works but then also this just came in off of comicbook.com that um the star wars the rise of skywalker runtime is possibly revealed um through leaks and yada 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 um they say it's gonna be coming in at 155 minutes which is two hours and 35 minutes which is what would be one of the longest star wars movies chris what are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, as long as it's good, make it as long as you want. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, Avengers Endgame, like that was a three hour movie. I was fine with it. Like that movie, that movie moves, you know, it, it really flows yep. nicely. If, if this movie's bad and it's two and a half hours, good, good Lord, good luck. Good, I can't even imagine the riots that would break out.
1: <laughs> I know. I, I just, I don't know, man. Like, I just think that they're trying, I mean, God bless his heart. JJ Abrams is trying to write the ship. He's doing all he can. And I think he needs two hours and 35 minutes to try to do his best to forget that last entry. You know, I, I I, I want, I was thinking this, Chris, you know, like I loved the force awakens, right? I Mm -hmm. bought that on voodoo and blu-ray. It's upstairs. And, you know, I've watched it multiple times and I've, everyone knows my thoughts on last Jedi. I wonder if he, they're almost going to ignore last Jedi. And just have it kind of start back up where he left off with Force Awakens somehow.
0: Well, I keep hearing this rumor that there's going to be a time jump between Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker, which would probably lend itself to be able to do something like that, to kind of disregard uh, The Last Jedi, which, I mean, that was a long movie, too. And it felt long. Like, that movie felt long. It felt long. And so, like... I mean, like we've said it before, I, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about this movie, but I mean, it, let me ask you this, Ben. If this movie mm-hmm. comes out and we start to read the reviews and the reviews are just saying like, this is bloody awful, it, would you would you go spend money to go see this in the theater? I don't think so. And for a Star Wars movie, that's like unheard of.
1: I know. I, I don't think so. I'm already teetering on it like... I saw the trailer it didn't do anything for me it just they really like broke my heart I, i'm just like man like i'm like totally just
0: you've given them like the fredo death kiss in godfather too like you broke my heart like that's it you like, broke yeah. my
1: heart fredo yeah it's i don't know it's <laughs> it's gonna be a lot i mean to see lando in the trailer was dope but you know i, I don't know i Apparently I'm very hard to please in my old age because, you know, I watched this very <laughs> amazing, you know, El Camino movie. It was written by, uh, written by Vince, Gilli- Vince Gilligan and it was great, great characters, great acting, great writing, yada, yada, yada. And still I just was like, yeah, it's okay. You know, it, it's, it doesn't meet up to the things that I felt in Breaking Bad, nor should it. I mean, Breaking Bad was this crazy long series that, you know, in a long form, drama can do different things than like you know a two-hour movie can but uh i don't know i guess i'm getting more jaded and stingy
0: yeah yeah i mean it's possible (laughs) i mean who knows
1: um i don't know but like you know what but then sometimes out of nowhere something can catch me and i get lost in a movie like it's not that it doesn't mm -hmm. happen like like you just brought up avengers endgame i'm bawling like a little girl like through the whole thing oh my god uh, you know yeah yeah or, or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I was so in. I was like applauding and standing up and making noises. Or freaking uh, Midsummer this year. I mean, I, those were – I had some great high peaks of movie-watching experience, like where I just mm. was lost in the movie theater. Like Those movies could have been 18 hours long. I could have lost time during those movies. That's how engrossed in the film I was. So I, I think you're right, Chris. As long as the movie is good, make it as long as you want.
0: Speaking of Avengers Endgame, I watched that on the flight back. From Ooh. Vegas on the plane. And I I've seen this movie a dozen times. Um, I cry every single time. Every single freaking time at the same exact spots. Like I know, like you know, uh when Ant-Man sees his daughter again after Ugh. he comes back, that that punches me in the gut. The last like half an hour of the movie, I'm just like a wreck. And I've, I felt bad for the guy sitting next to me because he kept looking at me. By the way, we talked about behavior on an airplane. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to
1: say, was the woman across the aisle bottling your tears or something like
0: that? Maybe. She was looking. I mean, well, if you looked at me from afar and didn't know what I was watching, they'd probably be like, what's wrong with this guy? Like, he's crying openly <laughs> on a plane. I'm like, you don't understand. I love you 3000. <laughs> uh, but see, here's the thing. And I'm I'm I, this is the point I want to make. As I was watching this, the, the thought I kept coming up with was the reason why I'm crying is I am so invested in these characters and I love these characters so much that what happens to them it, it impacts me in an emotional way. In this movie, I don't get. I mean, anything could happen to Finn uh, in in La, La, uh, Rise of Skywalker, and I'll just be like, hmm, okay, like yep. <laughs> almost like Poe. Okay, all right. If he dies in an aerial battle, all right, sorry. Like I don't, I don't feel, even even Ray and st- I'm like ah oh, I, I don't I mean sure she talk, she turns to the dark side that'd be kind of cool but like I don't I don't care like it's it's and Last Jedi did that to me it really made me stop caring really about did. these
1: characters yeah same here like they built them up like seriously if if crazy shit happened to him in Last Jedi that and that was part of the trilogy that. If anything happened, I would have been devastated because it's, you know, the right, the dip in the the second part of a trilogy. You know what I mean? And I, I would have been like, oh, my God, like Gandalf is dead or something. You know what I mean? I would have been like mm-hmm. devastated and they wasted that opportunity. They 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 made fun of us. What that movie did is make fun of you. The second Luke Skywalker threw that lightsaber over his shoulder. He was making fun of us and F you, Ryan Johnson. I'm not going to see that sword movie or knife movie. I don't give a shit.
0: (laughs) Knives out or something. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I
1: don't give a shit. Like, ooh, this is a great movie. I don't give a shit. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck this guy. Seriously. (laughs) Oh, maybe I'm not going to do that second trilogy. Yeah, I don't think so, Ryan. Dickhead.
0: (laughs) that. Blew that. Oh, my God. Love it, dude. I'm I'm with Uh, Gareth
1: Edwards and Tatooine. All right, we're gonna go have some freaking crazy cantina drinks. Go fuck yourself. (laughs) Hey, swear Uh, warning on this one. All right,
0: swear (laughs) warning. We'll put an explicit. I'll tie the explicit on this one. Yeah.
1: Um, (laughs) If that guy showed up to Comic Con, I swear to God,
0: (laughs) he. I don't think he's welcome. I I think think after this, there are some people that like don't go to Comic Con because they just know that it's not going to go well. like, I remember, I don't know if you knew this, but in San Diego, they did a Game of Thrones comic con and like only half the cast showed up because like and neither neither of the showrunners showed up, even though they were supposed to, because they just knew like <laughs> the the hate that they were going to get uh, and they didn't want to face it. So, um, yeah, no, no, thank you. No, thank you. All yeah, right. My number. Th- go yeah,
1: ahead. I'm sorry. I, I mean, I, if I saw any of the actors like I have no problem with the actors and stuff like that, sure. they're working. You know what I mean? They, yeah. they signed on. What are they going to do? I, mean, I don't know. But still, uh, right. you see that script. Oh, my God. It's going to mm. kill you.
0: No, thank you. All <laughs> right. So for my number three this week, uh, let's talk about some awesome things on TV. and it's All surprisingly right. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> so um, the season finale of The Righteous Gemstones was this past Sunday. Ben, have you been watching mm-hmm. the show?
1: I have, but I didn't watch the finale.
0: Okay. So I'm not going to spoil anything for you.
1: Okay. Um, okay. Thank you.
0: It's very good. It's very good, though. It's very satisfying. Okay. Yeah, I, I um, mean, it's
1: been great show. Yeah.
0: I mean, last week's – the previous episode, like, Danny McBride's digging in on some of the dramatic work there. And I was just like, oh, God. Like, he's going for it. This is good. Um, it's an outstanding yeah. show. And it's an outstanding end to season one. Um, tidies up some nice things nicely. And then it also leaves, obviously, the door wide open for season two. Um, and obviously, you hope that it's coming. Um, but just an outstanding overall show. Like, we talk about strong ensemble – um cast we talk about you know when when you're given a moment in a script to really shine um going for it and there is i'm not going to tell you what the the uh content is but uh Judy the the sister gives a monologue in the season finale that is one of the greatest things i've ever heard it's i think it's like 2 minutes long and it's unbelievable it's on it's one of those monologues it's like this should be done this should be done in theater classes from here into eternity it's that good <laughs> i cannot wait for you to listen to that, that, that okay monologue. great phenomenal um but anyway great end to the season one the other show i want to talk to you real quick about because this is this is what surprised me so i also watched the season finale of succession because again i've started watching this show rooting for terrible things to happen to this family that is yep. all i want to have happen this show surprised me with their season finale literally in the last 30 seconds of the show. It all of a sudden got good. And I've never experienced that before in a television show where with what happened at the end of season two, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody who sees it. All of a sudden I went, Oh, <laughs> it's like that changes everything. And now yeah. I'm, I, I'm reluctant to say this, but now I'm like, I got to see what happens next. I'm I'm in on this thing. So, Huh, but only cool. but it's it's interesting because only because they made this slight decision at the end like nothing in season 2 would would set you up for this in terms of like man this is about to next like season 3 is going to be you know balls to the wall um it literally the last 30 seconds of the show it's like oh my like it almost felt like you know when you're watching batman begins and you're like oh this is an okay movie and at the end he's like they they talk about the joker and he's like i'll look into it and then you're like what like that's what this—that's what this felt like. It was like, oh, okay, so we're going this direction. Now I'm, now I'm in because now I'm starting to get exactly what I wanted out of this show, and we'll see how it plays out. So, um, it's weird to say this. I recommend you know Succession. Watch it. Definitely recommend Righteous Gemstones. If you just love comedy, if you love acting, yeah, if you love writing, that's a great show. Get on that show for God's sakes.
1: Well, you so, know what. It's You know what's funny, Chris, is it's a great segue to my, uh, I think, number four. Kick it. Coming up. Um, is I have to report in on a show. So this doesn't happen a lot because in the era of binge binge watching shows and have having shows available, um, I was watching the Wu-Tang show like I've been watching Ooh. religiously. And it comes out every Wu Wednesday, which is excellent. Um, <laughs> and so this show is like slowly coming out. So I can't watch all of it. Um, and you know how we talked a lot about, um, how they have, we have a lot of music biopics now. Right. And there was that great video by, um, that Willems guy on YouTube, just talking about how Dewey Cox nailed it and just, just nailed it. And like any kind of show or movie that comes out about it. Um, and I reported a couple, like about a month ago that Wu Tang show is great. Wu Tang American saga is a great show. We should all check it out. Um, I might have to start slowly taking that back.
0: Whoa. Okay.
1: Yeah. Because it started falling into some tropes of that music biopic that started bumming me out a little.
0: Hmm. How so? I'm not can, can you elaborate? I was going to say, okay. Um. Well, no. I
1: mean, it just started – like, I like the show because mm-hmm. – you didn't know who the Wu-Tang members were. They were using their real names and just showed them life to life, you know, sh- showed them in the world of like drug dealing and being gang members and stuff. And what, and you're rooting for them to of course be, you know, make it and be seen and people see the untapped potential. I think they could have spaced it out a little more. Um, Cause now that I have it, now that people are starting to recognize that they're really talented, I kind of don't care about the show anymore.
0: Oh, okay, interesting, interesting.
1: And it's just and I don't know what it is. I actually I do know what it is. I think it's the delivery of that moment. Like they could have made this very dramatic uh, kind of like the movie 8 Mile <laughs> like thing where this is the rap battle he wins and it's going to start kicking ass like and they just kind of the it, the show is very weird and it plays it off like it's just like this nonchalant thing like yeah we got the record deal cool but it's not really I I don't know it's a very weird vibe like and so I don't tonally I don't know where it's at and maybe they're building me up for something else but right now as it stands I I don't know like I thought I was engaging in something that was a little more than it was and the reviews are still good online Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and maybe it's just because it's not that popular of a show or something like that but um I don't know. Some of the actors started to get a little 2d for me. Some of the characters started getting a little 2d and kind of on the nose, like their characters started. They started doing coxing it. You know what I mean? They started Mm -hmm. saying things that were just a little too, you know what I mean? Uh, On the button. Like, right. uh, don't do it, Dewey. This drugs are bad for you. Like, <laughs> like it was just like very like blatant what they were going for. I don't know, Chris, Chris, does that bum me out? Like when you're watching a show and then it just kind of deflates on you. I know mean, you're oh, yeah. talking about succession.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I think and it, it, it's interesting you said, because typically you'll see that with some of these longer season shows that do like 23 episode seasons and like, right. Sometimes like 15 through 18 is just like awful. You know, usually with small miniseries, though, you know, sometimes usually everything's pretty solid. But it sounds like with this one in particular, they probably would have benefited from doing less episodes.
1: Uh, Yeah. Or like, uh, I wish the main focus was just them as kids. Mm. Like, that was really interesting to me. Like, when it felt, it felt like The Wire. Like, you're watching The Wire. And I was like, wow, this really sucks. Like, it sucks living in late 80s Staten Island. You know what I mean? And I was like... This is awful. It's like Cracktown USA. It's awful. And just to see these 16, 17, 18-year-olds trying to live and survive is that that's enough drama. I don't need the drama of trying to make a record deal and stuff like that, too. Like right. it, it almost it's almost like that outdoes the Significance of the music Which is a weird thing to say Because it's based on a real story I know what happens We all know what happens To the Wu-Tang mm-hmm. Clan But like when you see Like life and death shit It's just Maybe they haven't got there yet Maybe it hasn't right. translated to the Penultimate climax of the Season yet I don't know,
0: well, I don't I think know Chris, you, it, you bring up a good point You bring up a really good point I think for for a lot of us Who watch these movies The climb The journey to get there Is always more compelling about the 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 journey after to sustain success or to come back from success. I mean, that's why movies like you know the Dewey Cox formula. It's like you get that success and then it's like the success gets to your head and starts to bring you down, and then you have the intervention moment and then you're back, baby. Um, like you know, (laughs) a movie that I need more goats in
1: the symphony. I do
0: (laughs) a movie that's really guilty of of this kind of thing is, is The Greatest Showman with with Hugh Jackman, where yeah. they try to cram in P.T. Barnum's entire life into a two-hour movie, and you can't really do that. And what was interesting is, again, like why not make the movie about his establishing the circus, and then the end of the movie, you see the circus, the first performance of the circus, and then end credits. Right. You so know, it's like, that's it. But yet they chose to keep going, and then it becomes a really mishmash of like timelines and things like that so yeah i don't get i don't understand why these movies have to do that like bohemian rhapsody is another one like i don't you know get let's see this band get to success i mean i know you want to get to the live a performance at the end but you know i don't need to see the ebbs and flows of of you know the band's you know you know relationships with one another and things like that i don't know right there's like
1: 18 movies or a a giant series crammed into that movie like i would have loved to hang out with pre-famous freddie mercury for a whole movie Mm. you know what i mean like him in college and just sticking around not even singing like like just to have someone with such potential it reminds me of those commercials like uh do you remember that commercial where it was like aretha franklin she's working in an office and they actually got aretha franklin and she just blares over the loud system oh (laughs) like she's like cold blue (laughs) She's just screaming over the thing. And they're like, oh my God. Like, it just reminds me that that's fascinating when you have someone with this unknown potential inside of them and they're just dealing with the day-to-day bullshit that we all deal with. That's a movie in itself. We don't need to then, you know, go into Freddie joins the band and then Freddie has breakups and makeups and then Freddie's fighting with the band and then they haven't practiced yet. And it's, it's just, like you said, Chris, it's too many... Climax is letdowns. Climax is letdowns. Climax is right. letdown. And 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 at the end of the movie, you're just like, what are we building towards? Like, what's? Yeah. It makes the whole Live Aid performance like, yeah, it was a thing. But you know, they definitely weren't the biggest band at Live Aid at the time, so it, it's just weird.
0: I wonder. Also, the thing I'm going to start wondering is with these music biopics, because you know there' are no no end to you know in sight for these things. But as we start doing biopics about more modern day artists like you know a taylor swift for instance who have basically played their entire lives 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 in the public eye on you know social media the attention to accuracy is going to be like on steroids because if they try to make like a fluffy taylor swift movie that shows like her gaining success and then the struggle and like people are going to be like, what are you talking about? She, she, she had success like her entire career. There was no dip, like things like that. Like that. I I think we're going to start to see like that attention to detail. Uh, And I think also that's why I think a lot of these, you know, pop artists today probably don't really have compelling biopics because we know, we know what's happening because they put it online.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's, I think that's what's going on with this show a little bit is, you know, it's, it's a great thing to have, a lot of the Wu Tang members be executive producers because you get the real stories. You get the real actual things. You know what I mean? Like the real actual stories of a uh, Ghostface Killer, like being at odds with Raekion, you know what I mean? Like and just mm-hmm. all these like real stories that are in it and we don't know about it. That's great. But then the bad thing about having them being executive producers is they can say no to things that won't make them look good. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Where if it's just me making a, like someone just said, Hey, here's a script. You need to punch it up a little for the Wu Tang documentary. Wu Tang documentary. Sweet. This is going to be awesome. Or Wu Tang biopic. Awesome. I would go nuts. I know nothing about what really happened to them. I would just use my imagination. <laughs> it'd probably be terrible, but in like a B movie kind of kung fu gangster kind of ghetto way. And, right. you know, I'd be like, All right, um, I'm just going to make it that um, you guys started robbing banks. <laughs> is that true i don't know and so now he's just out like robbing blank and like but people would be like holy shit did he really rob banks and he'd be like no i don't know what this who this ben Frawley guy is who wrote my movie but yeah. uh it makes it more dramatic you know what i mean like it would make yeah. it a better film not necessarily that it's real i i, I don't know and it, i i guess that's what's like You like to your point that is tough like what do we want to see do we want to see the real story or do we want to see a dramatic kind of kick-ass movie i don't know
0: Good points all around, man. Good points. Yeah, that actually segues nicely into my next uh, topic as well. So,
1: nice.
0: um it, it was announced this week. We're going to be talking about theater, which is something we rarely do, but um, we're going to talk about it. So, it was announced officially this week that the Michael Jackson jukebox musical uh, is coming to Broadway. It's official. Oh. Like it's 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 happening. Um, they they delayed it obviously because of the documentary that came out. So they're like, you know, we should probably push this thing back. Um, And they completely rebranded it as well. So instead of calling it uh, don't stop till you get enough, it's now just simply called MJ. And (laughs) what's funny about this is that like the delay and the rebranding, all that stuff, it hasn't like changed anybody's opinion about this. Nobody, unless you're a Michael Jackson fan, nobody wants this on Broadway because it's, it's too soon. There are still too many questions we're living in a post you know me too times up society where we're you know sensitive and hyper aware of these situations. And we haven't really you know delved in, and really talked about and, and tried to come up with a response to how do you deal with with the separating the artist from the art, so to speak? And from everything I've been hearing, this this musical doesn't really touch on any accusations. It's really more just a celebration of of MJ's career. And, um, you know, the reason why they wanted to change it from don't stop Till You get enough to MJ was they wanted to kind of do more general overview of his career rather than focusing on one song, so to speak. So I I don't know. I I'm still in the camp of, I don't think there should be an an MJ musical on Broadway. I think there's just still too many questions. I think, you know, it's just, it's just a not, not the right time. And I don't know if it ever is going to be the right time for that but ben i just wanted your thoughts on that uh, real quick not to I paint mean, you in a corner but yeah
1: kids uh, that's hard how to do you feel about it that.
0: <laughs> yeah exactly
1: <laughs> um yeah you know I, not everything needs to be turned into a musical or go on broadway that's go. it you know what i mean like there was i mean i was walking broadway and off broadway all you know a couple weeks ago and i was looking at these things that we talked about on this podcast, like to kill a mockingbird was out there, um, which is fascinating. It's Jeff Daniels and Aaron Sorkin. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's that controversy behind that as well. And there's all these kind of things that were once movies that are being turned into musicals. Um, I don't know. Uh, whatever puts butts in the seats, I guess. You know what I mean? Whatever gets people to, uh, to work and stuff. But you know what? You have to think of Broadway as a brand. And remember, there there was not a long time ago, like Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, you know more Broadway than I do, but about 10 years ago, Broadway was almost dead Yeah. in the water. Like, I mean, yep. acting as we know, theater and Broadway was almost dead. And, you know... Maybe it was some of the kind of rehashes of Grease or Hairspray or even High School Musical, the popularity of that show that brought back Broadway into its kind of own thing. I mean, listen, there was people lined up on on the street of every Broadway show that I walked by when I was up there, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. which is a great thing. But we have to think of Broadway and musicals as a brand in itself. And if you're going to allow this controversial thing to be in Times Square with a giant poster of a dude that is a well-known pedophile, at least. <laughs> I mean, that's hurting your brand. Um,
0: it's, I don't know. It's one of those things where what you know when you're opening a show on Broadway nowadays, your goal is there's only two goals. One is to make money, and the other is to win Tony Awards. Um, I don't. I don't see how this does either. And I also, right. it's one of those things where it's like only bad things can happen with this with this thing coming. Cause you've got you've got to try to cast it. And the cast, whoever gets cast in this thing, they're gonna get a wave of hatred towards them. Like, how could you how dare you accept this job? Forgetting the fact that it's a job and it could be the only job that some of these performers get in their lifetime, you know, on Broadway. Because again, it's not like It's not like it's a small community where everybody's getting cast and everything here. So I do feel for that, like that the performers are like, gosh, do I not accept this job based on principles and morals? Or do I take the job because it's my one shot at being on Broadway and could lead to an entire career on this thing. (laughs) It's like, good luck trying to make that decision. But again, like whoever gets cast in this thing, like the, the woman who wrote the, the, um, um, uh, the book for her name's a playwright named Lynn Nottage, who's actually won Mm -hmm. two Pulitzer Prizes. She's already getting a wave of hatred based on this. Um, It's like, how, how could you do this? So to speak. And um, so she's already kind of feeling the heat as well. So again, it's one of those things where it's like only bad things are going to happen from this thing. So the fact that they, they're keeping, they're, they're trying to make it happen. I just, it's beyond me at this point. So we'll see. I mean, it's, it's, I think we're still, I think we're a full calendar year. Away from it opening on Broadway, I think it's. Not, I think that they they're targeting a fall of 2020 start, but still, it's like you know this is this is fresh in people's minds. So uh, totally, anyway.
1: totally fresh in yeah. people's minds. I, I just I can't believe that this is happening. I mean, but you know what? There is. It's so interesting because the theater and Broadway are out there. They're big. You know what I mean? There's these big things. They're on Times Square. These billboards and yeah Tony's and all these things, but it's kind of insular in a different kind of way you you know with all mm-hmm. of the to kill a Mockingbird controversy you brought up here and on the blog um you see these giant billboards outside of the theater that say you know once in a lifetime you have to see it blah 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 and all these great reviews and stuff like that so no matter how you can always spin something no matter how controversial and any publicity is good publicity, and so maybe that's what people are are betting on no. or something I don't know no
0: don't. No doubt. There you go. All right, man. What do you got for number five this week?
1: Number five. Let me talk about something. Let me talk about something that is important to me. Um, there was a great article on The Ringer by uh, Elizabeth Nelson. Um, 35 years to the day, I believe this was today, is the anniversary of Stop Making Sense, the film by the Talking Heads and Jonathan Demi. Uh, one of my favorite concert films, one of my favorite bands, one of my favorite people, David Byrne, and Jonathan Demme, uh, you know, to say that for his, his directing and everything. But just a great article of what made this concert film particularly celebrated and why it still stands up. I just rewatched it. I, I watch it. I'm going to say I watch parts of it or all of it, like once a year, just to put on in the background, just because of the music um, It was one of my first CDs ever uh yeah just talking heads live his voice is just awesome live and him in the big suit is iconic and the reason why it still holds up is it's really about i don't know it doesn't make any sense and it's not like a reference to anything at the time so you could show like i showed deacon like you know david Byrne dancing with the lamp and stuff to this must be the place naive melody And Mm. it's just a ridiculous thing that you're watching this guy in a giant suit dance around the stage and run around like a maniac. And I don't know. And, you know, speaking of Broadway, he is on Broadway right now with his uh, new album and uh, David Byrne's still going strong. So Chris, uh, what are your thoughts on the talking heads, the state of David Byrne, the whole thing? Yada, yada, yada.
0: Well, first of all, I was going to try to get your press tickets for that, by the way. Oh, you son
1: of a bitch. I walked by it so much. I was taking pictures of the outside of the theater. (laughs)
0: Because, I mean, they they do like the whole press round and for reviews and stuff like that. But uh, I tried to do it for Springsteen as well. I didn't get in with Springsteen. But, um, yeah, I've already reached out to the the firm that's handling that show. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. All right. Um, I'll take another If I get them, I was going to say, if I get them, you're going. No, that that, that documentary, actually, it's funny you bring it up because I watched it. I think I watched it over the summer this past summer. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I just was, I was in the mood to, to watch it. I've seen it a couple of times. I mean, I, I don't know. There's something about like when they start playing burning down the house in that, in that film, it's like, you just, it, the entire crowd gets into it, but I, I got myself pumped up. I was like, shit. Yeah. Like that song is awesome. And, and I started thinking about how people don't give, you know, the talking heads the credit that they deserve and all, all those feelings started to come up, but no, that's, it is, I think um, the standard for those concert films i think it's like i i'm trying i i was racking my brain as you we were talking to try to find a better one and i really can't i got i really can't
1: i mean it's unfortunate that there isn't a live video of johnny cash live at folsom prison you know what i mean oh they, my god there's yeah there's a live video that's kind of hashed together and someone cartooned it up it was on VH1 for a while, and it's hard to find now. And I, it's like BBC or some someone made it. And there's footage from him doing um, Live at San Quentin, which is an okay album. I mean, a boy named Sue is on there. But, you know, it's not Live at Folsom Prison. Uh, it's hard to beat. Um, I would say the band, The Last Waltz, is a great um, mm. music uh, pick or whatever. whatever what do you call it, Concert pick. Um, that's a great right. one directed by Scorsese. That one's awesome. And then, um, of course, Woodstock, I guess, but that's pretty right.
0: good. Didn't Scorsese, didn't Scorsese do a Rolling Stones one as well?
1: He did, and that one's okay. That It's
0: um, okay? Okay. Is I seen
1: Crossfire it. Hurricane? Yeah. It, it's a Stones. I, I forget <clears> the name of it. Yeah, It's something like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cool, man. I mean, Talking Heads, that's such an interesting – I mean, these you're talking about a band that met each other at, you know, Rhode Island School of Art and Design. Like, they, they're at, right. They were art school kids. <laughs> just like, and of course, when you watch their stuff, it's like, okay, yeah, I see it. Like, I, they're totally art school kids. Um, yeah, but, but then yeah, by no, the time just-
1: that they got to stop making sense, they were, you know, they have just, you know, as a theater person, Chris, does that go through your head when you're watching that thing and they're wheeling out, you know, it starts off with David Byrne in a little beatbox and he's got a guitar. <laughs> it's so odd and then they start wheeling out all the pieces you know the bass player comes out and does heaven and then they wheel out the drummer then they wheel out the keyboard and you see the people the tech people in black and stuff and it's such a theater kind mm-hmm. of performance there is something like specifically visceral for me as a theater person like uh, this is it this is what live performance should be like this it should yeah. keep you guessing um i mean i talked about i saw a lot of great live bands this Summer, you know, I saw the Flaming Lips that put on one of the most epic live shows of all time. Uh, Mm. And, you know, maybe they're the next ones. I could see them having a great concert movie. Um, But just a great director needs to take charge and do one of these things. I don't know. And still, it's crazy that 35 years to this day is I could go out and play a Talking Ed song. I usually play Heaven or I could play Psycho Killer or something like that. And people still ask me, oh, who was that? Or, hey, did you write that song? Hey, that's pretty Mm -hmm. good, Ben. Did you write that one? I'm like, yes, of course I did. Um, So (laughs) it's crazy that this band that still has such an impact on music and experimental music and Brian Eno, and I could go on and on about how David Byrne is impactful to me creatively. And uh, I don't know. It still can be underground and people don't know them. It's wild.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. By the way, you've seen the documentary now, Spoof on that
1: Oh of, coor- of course of course. <laughs> of course. Of course. The uh perfect. documentary now, right?
0: <laughs> yep. Yeah, that was so good. It's so good. It was yeah, so that good. one it was their um, follow-up awesome to
1: movie. the uh the blue jean committee, the the Eagles one. <laughs> yep,
0: yep. Another <clears throat> another brilliant show There you go. Yeah. Um <clears throat> all right, so for Nightmare Five, um, Ben, so the reason why I was in Vegas was I was covering um performing arts auditions for the Las Vegas Performing Arts Academy out there and just tremendous talent left and right. I think I think Jimmy Kimmel is a alumni of that school. So um amazing right. amazing students. Yep. And um so I, 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 there was about 130 kids um that were auditioning that day and they all come on they do some of them are doing two monologues, some of them are doing a song and a monologue and you, know, you you get your pretty standard fare of you know audition material but then a couple kids came up almost in a row like i would say like three out of five like in a a sequence and they did for their selections they did all muppet songs and sesame street songs like like one kid did a song from the great muppet caper called the first time it happens okay another kid came up and did um this (laughs) this song about a stop sign in from sesame street and he said like this is Called like the, the something about the style. Like, I, I need to get to that. And it was a love ballad about how he needed to get across the street to his loved ones, but the sign said, Don't walk. So he can't go across the street. And I have to tell you, each audition, each th- of these three people that did Muppets and Sesame Street songs were outstanding. Mm. It was, and it, and it had the room in stitches where people were like, Oh my God, this is the coolest thing ever. And I just thought about it. Got me thinking about how, you know, this is the time of year where a lot of <clears throat> high school students are starting to do their auditions to get into these, you know, prestigious, you know, performing arts programs, and they're starting to select their material. And I, I have to put it out there for anybody's listening. You know, one of the big pieces of advice that a lot of people give you is whatever is going to make you memorable in that room, do it because that's what you know. When we look at hundreds and thousands of auditions, what's what is it about that person that stands out? You know what? Doing a song from Sesame Street and killing it—that's going to make you stand out. So, um, my biggest piece of advice out there to people is to get bold with your audition material. Like, get bold. Um, do something obscure that you feel you can kill. Do something silly sometimes if you know you can just crush it and things like that. Uh, but take some risk, Ben. I wanted to ask you in your in your history of doing auditions, have you ever done like a like a huge risk when it comes to material? Like, I don't know if this is going to work, but you know what? If it does. Heck yeah! Like it, it'll it'll kill.
1: That's that's that is always my uh, that has always been my play. That has always been my like go to is to to do something that sticks out. And usually, I am not auditioning with a song. I'm usually auditioning with a monologue for a straight play. Um, so you know, my go to back in the day, I would I would pull from movies because I'm a giant movie fan and stuff like that. But I love theater, so I would pull from everything like. Doing the Beekman's Diner monologue from Night of Living Dead was always great. Um, or mm-hmm. doing something from the band King Missile was always awesome. Um, they're the ones that sang the song Detachable Penis. Great song. Uh, and so doing things like that were always something, as long as I did it dramatic, as long as it's a monologue. To me, a monologue is something that can show your range. And range could mean the range of your voice, right? Going soft to loud. Going low to high, going expressive to non-expressive. And then also being some content that people will recommend. And your character has an arc. So your character, even in that minute, two minutes, they go somewhere. They go from angry to sad, happy to upset, or whatever it is. You want an emotional arc, Mm -hmm. you want the range in your personality, but also, you know what? I don't I want to pick something. I want to go in there. And people are going to be like, oh, my God, not only was this six foot three attractive Viking in the room with me, but also he (laughs) he knew the material back and front, And it was a crazy material. I've never heard anyone do anything like that. There's been so many times that even when I didn't get the part, I talked to people afterwards or they came up to me and said, oh, my God, you didn't get that part but we still talk about that or they'll contact me afterwards for another role in another play. So it's Mm. all about getting your name out. And so I totally understand that Chris. And that's really cool that it's really random. Maybe they just have a vocal teacher that's obsessed with Sesame street or something.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Whoever that teacher is, by the way, who's suggesting that they do Muppets and Sesame Strongs, kudos to you, sir or (laughs) ma'am. I mean, it's, it's, masterful masterful done so yeah i I will remember those kids for for quite some time and and that's really just because of of what they did so there you go there you go ben let's go youtube what do you got this week all right
1: um so um games done quick i've mentioned them before but i got hooked um and there is a legend of zelda run by jsr and roo slugs in 42 minutes and 11 seconds And this is a swordless, so Legend of Zelda, so Chris, Legend of Zelda for Nintendo, right? You familiar? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. These crazy MFers, they do a swordless race through Legend of Zelda from from level one to Ganon without a sword. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. (laughs) I gotta watch yeah, that. It, it w- I, I was
1: late for work this morning just because of this. I, I was like, I need to finish this just to see this guy. So it's all about keeping bombs. It's all about getting the candle so you can burn guys right at the beginning. And there's so many okay. little shortcuts and clips. You'll sit there and go, Oh my god, how did he just do that? It it's wild. You can't take your eyes off of it. Um, also interesting. Yeah, that was that was great. Um, also, I was in a horror movie mood last night. I watched Sounds of the Lambs and then i was like you know what i i want a cult kind of gory cheesy awful movie and i haven't done any research on this movie it's terrible don't get me wrong it's terrible but awesome at the same time i believe there's a beheading even before the credits start rolling it's called Primutos, premutos p r e m u t o s from 1997 it's an hour 46 the gore is fantastic in this movie there's this narration and this overdubbing that is some of the worst I've ever heard. I believe the movie is Belgian or something. Oh my God. Uh, Because I mean, I'm just, all right, listen, that was kind of a stereotype. This is messed up because the kid in the movie has a giant Van Damme poster in his room. (laughs) So, I mean, (laughs) I guess other, you know, countries can like Van Damme that much to have them in the movie. I don't know. That was (laughs) so primutos. Check that out. And then also, um, from our friends at SB nation, um, <clears throat> uh, it's a nine minute and 18, uh nine minute, 18 second video, a legendary mascot got ejected because a crotchety Tommy Lasorda couldn't take a joke. It's a great video. The night that fun died.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I gotta yeah. check that out. So all That's three good. of those, those were, That's those good. were my
1: picks. Hey, Chris, did you get my, uh. My video from a couple weeks ago, that uh, Kamasi Washington video. Did you yes. watch that
0: thing? <laughs> Not Dude, yet.
1: it has a lot to do with Street Fighter. It's so weird.
0: <laughs> well, the image on it was attached. It was priceless. So, I got it. Yeah. Go Kamasi, really I'm, I'm still yeah, obsessed. You know I mean? I've
1: gone through rabbit holes with Kamasi Washington. Now, I've watched like a ton of like <laughs> live videos. and But that one, it's called Street Fighter Moss. And it's him, and he's fighting all these white guys in this retirement home or a funeral parlor, and they're playing Street Fighter Two. It's so bizarre. Just <laughs> That's awesome. Anyway, what you got, Chris? What do you got? That's
0: awesome, Eric. All right, I got two for you this week. Um, I know we've talked about um, you know SNL not really being able to bring it anymore and being very inconsistent. Well, you know this season it's been more of the same, yep. very inconsistent. But um, one high, David Harbor. Hosted this past weekend, uh, the sheriff from Stranger Things, and outstanding host, by the way. And we we talked about this earlier, uh, where you know actors who are trained dramatically um, and or, or you know who are who are actually trained can do both comedy really well and drama really well. He's one of them. I mean, he's just he's up there. Um, they did a parody of the Joker
1: yep. movie. I watched week. it. Um, I watched.
0: They you saw. Except it's Oscar the Grouch. And I know I just talked about Sesame Street before, but it is perfect. It is one of those things that's like, Good lord, if if SNL could just be like this, every sketch that they do, it would be the funniest freaking show on television. Cause I was I was laughing so hard during that fake trailer. So if you don't if you haven't seen it yet, go watch it. If you you know know you know, if you know the source material, the Joker movie, it's even better. But yeah, they do they basically do a gritty you know reboot of, of Sesame Street with with Oscar the Grouch. It's fantastic. Um, the other thing, the other thing I wanted to bring up. Now, <clears throat> I was tr- trying to figure out how I should bring this to the table, but it is on YouTube. There is an actor by the name of Ryan Creamer. So think about like, you know, cream that you put in your coffee with ER at the end. Ryan Creamer. And what he does is <laughs> he does what are called polite adult films. And He'll basically do like the titles. Uh, so how do I explain this? So he'll do a video where it sounds like it's like setup up for an adult film scenario, but yet it's something completely polite and nice and kind and things like that and very mundane. So like one of them, one of them is titled A Room Full of Guys Take Turns Complimenting You. And it's literally like five guys in a room reading off cards saying like – you know, like, I'm really proud of your journey as a person. Like, I'm really happy that you got your bachelor's degree. <laughs> like, it's... Um, another one is a secretary and boss. Enjoy a healthy working relationship. <laughs> uh, um, one of them is I disinfect the casting couch. Oh. <laughs> so, like, it, it, he's taking these classic adult film scenarios and kind of putting a spin on it. But the hilarious thing is he's he's doing it with actual adult <gasps> film stars. No. So, these are actual adult <laughs> film stars. And it's like, I eat a pizza with, pizza you know, man. um, with a, with a girl, like it's an adult film actress and they're little. it's like, and a lot of these videos are like 20 seconds long. So it's, it's perfect. Um, <laughs> one of my favorites is I walk in on you and promptly exit. <laughs> so if you get a chance, yeah. And actually uh, on YouTube, like you, you can find this on, uh, apparently on all these, you know, those sites, not. Oh, of that course I look not. At those, but um, of course not. Um, but if you go to YouTube, they have like a compilation. So you can watch all of them in a row. And they're like, I said, they're fantastic because uh, he is literally doing what they're saying. Like uh, one of them, one of my favorite was, um, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> where is it? Oh gosh. Um, I, oh, hold on. Here it is. Girl gets, girl gets, Girl gets stuck in sync and gets safely extracted. Like, like just girl gets her hand stuck in a sink. And just teacher and student, teacher and student make it through the lesson plan. Like it's just it's it's so good. So Ryan, you know his name is I've, Ryan Creamer.
1: I've never, um, you know, I heard about those videos on Stern. I've never watched them, the hand getting stuck in sync. I've just listened to the audio on Stern. I've never actually seen an actual.
0: Like Gin- Ginger Banks and I just try on our outfits in the dressing room. Do we just try on our outfits, <laughs> And he's wearing he. And what's even better, he's wearing like this like sweater vest with like a shirt and tie. So just like his outfit just makes it even look even better. Like it's 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 gold. It's it's honest oh, to god, um, comedy gold. So yeah, definitely check out that out. So Ben, let's wrap this thing up. What do you got going on? Anything you uh, want to plug
1: next? So tomorrow I am so just fired up. Uh, I'm going to see the movie uh, Profundo Rosso, a.k.a. Deep Red, a Dario Argento movie. And the band Goblin is going to perform live in front of it. Um, And it's at the Palace Theater in Syracuse, going with my friends Bobby and Dean. I cannot wait to see this. Um, Goblin has been one of my favorite kind of... um, You know, I just saw John Williams this summer. Goblin, for me, is uh, very close to him as far as just scoring and stuff like that. If you've ever seen the movie Suspiria, if you've ever seen the movie Dawn of the Dead, the original, any of those, they did all the soundtracks to those. It's just this kind of prod rock kind of instrumental madness, and they're going to blare out this theater. That's also by After Dark Presents up here in central New York. So we're going to see that. And hopefully um, Mr. Bobby wanted to come back on the podcast and give his full review. So maybe he'll join us. Let's do it. Let's
0: do it next week. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, And folks, you can listen to this podcast and all of our podcasts on the Onstage Blog Podcast Network. We've got close to almost a dozen podcasts on there. Pretty much uploading almost something almost every single day on there. So keep checking that. And we're on all the podcast networks. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher. I mean, we're all over the place. So just, you know, look this up. You can find us there. Give us a rating, please, because it definitely helps our algorithms and whatnot. But Ben, thanks, my man.
1: Yeah, dude. Always, always, always. Good one, good one, good one.
0: All right, folks. We'll see you right here next week on Desperately Seeking Entertainment.